What is going on, everyone? Jonathan here, host of the Venue RX podcast. And I am pumped because I am interviewing today a woman who we've tried to get on the podcast. She's <laughs> super popular in many different coaching circles and in, in uh, among wedding and event professionals. And you may have heard her on other wedding uh, podcasts. Terika Skaggs, thank you so much for being here today. Hi. <laughs> because like I was saying right before the show, you and I first met, or I heard you, I should say, on Clubhouse in a room where you were just bringing so much value. And I think oh, um, Avi was in the room. There was a couple other people in the room. And a few of the guests that I've had on my show have been like, you have to interview Erica. <laughs> So thank you for coming on. Oh my gosh. So much pressure. So much pressure. <laughs> Don't feel pressure at all. You, you are, you are amazing. The value that you're bringing thank to this industry. You. How long have you been um, involved in the wedding and events industry? 16 years. It's been wow. sweet 16 this year. Yeah. Congratulations. So how many of those years uh, have you been doing any sort of education for wedding pros? Oh, wow. Um, Hmm. Um, I started speaking, I think in 2009 and I I did that for about a year or two. Then I stopped and then I picked right back up my, uh, my mentor, Sasha Souza was the one who actually told me, you know what, you want to elevate your planning brand and you're thinking too small. She was like, you are a brand. You need to get out there and get on the stage. And I'm like, that's cute. That, that's that's nice, but I really just want to make more. Like, you know, I really just want to up-level my planning company. She was like, Mm-mm, I've got nothing for you. I'm putting your name in for Cater Source. And I think that was in, I was in 2016 and I found out that I got the, the gig um, and I started speaking at 20 in 2017. And so this is, this is my what, fourth or fifth year speaking wow. at Cater Source this year. So um that yeah so since 2017 i've really been in the the education space and then one thing always snowballs into another right you know, people were like oh my gosh uh, you're so amazing i love hearing you speak do you coach and i'm like no and they're like you got a coach and i'm like fine all right then i came out with educational products because there's only so many hours in a day and uh, i still really wanted to help people i'm i'm super passionate about our industry. I didn't have the best um, or most supportive coming up in our industry. And I I really wanted to make sure that no one else felt like that, that no one else felt like um, there was a barrier between them and really great education, really great leaders and mentorship in this industry, because that can be so disheartening when you've got the passion and the fire to really, you know, go out and make a name for yourself, but you keep hitting brick wall after brick wall. So can you, I always, every day try to wake up and be who I needed when um, I started my business. I love that. I love that. And I think that's something that drives, um, drives so many incredible entrepreneurs because they know that once upon a time, they were, you know, where they are hoping to serve. Mm -hmm. And they can so intimately speak to that experience and provide the best value there. And, you know, there are thousands and thousands of people in our industry, but the the experiences are all different, right? Yeah, very much so. Very Um, much so. That's why I I make a point to never really discount 
anyone who's new and any new ideas that they have. I was there too. And I just wanted to be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. And I remember the, the passion and the fire that I had and, you know, that it means so much when someone sees that in you. So absolutely. Would you be willing to share with us? You mentioned kind of, you know, you didn't have the best experience coming up. What did that look like for you? Well, um, I'm pretty sure if anybody knows my story, I was actually studying to be an attorney uh, prior to becoming a wedding planner. So I was very, um, I wanted to know everything, wanted to do everything, wanted to be everywhere. Um, And I contacted several different wedding pros, different wedding planners, asking them, you know, can I just shadow you? Can I mentor you? And it was just closed door after closed door after closed door. No, I'm not going to train my competition. And I remember coming up against or coming up to one particular planner and she was like, I told her my story, you know, because she seemed very empathetic to what I was going through. And she had had some longevity in the industry as well. And I said, you know, everybody keeps saying, you know, they don't want to train their competition. And she was like, oh, honey, you'll never be competition for me. And it wasn't said in a way as you'll never be competition to me because I only compete with myself. You know what I mean? It was said like, Mm-mm, girl, you'll never get there type of thing. And I was, I was just done. I was just, I was over it. And I decided to create an online community. And it turns out other people were done too. Other people had ran into so many different people looking down on them, not sharing, not giving them any information. And the next thing I know, what started off as a, I'm about to date myself here, as an MSN group, um, <laughs> Turned nice. into, turned into one of the largest online communities for wedding professionals. We had members in every single state. We had members in different countries, and it was amazing. And you know, people like everybody's favorites now: Michelle Loretta, Candace Coppola, Kawania Wooten, Leb. Everybody was there at the start of that community. And it was, it was amazing for us. And you can see what it means to have other people pour into you. We didn't have Instagram. Uh, We didn't have Facebook at that time. So Twitter was just coming on the scene. So having that support of a real tribe and, you know, people who did believe in you and who would say, yeah, you know what, I'm having a bad day too, or I'm having these same type of inquiries, just that validation means so much, not just in the industry, but as an entrepreneur within itself, it's, you definitely need that. I, I love that. I love that you took that negative experience and kind of used it. You twisted it and you used it to kind of light a fire under your butt and say, Hey, I'm struggling with this. Other people are struggling with it too. Let's go. You know, it's so funny you should say that because it turns out like my Instagram post today said, you know, every damn brick they throw at you, use it to step on. And I feel like so many people just get told no once and they stop. Some people aren't used to being told no. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people aren't used to seeing outside of the grand vision that they've had for themselves. And it's so easy to just get so down on yourself and, and say, why am I not here? Why am I not having the same success as whoever? And, and just leave it there. But when you have really great people around you, they don't allow you to give up. Like that's not even an option. So just, and that was my thing too. You know, it was like, you know, I wanted to be in business for myself, but not by myself. I really missed having that community that I had in other industries and in, in other realms of my education. So finding like-minded people was crucial to, to my success. It is still to this day. 
what about your background helped you use that negativity and, and turn it into fuel? Because just like you said, so many people do take those no's or do take mm -hmm. that discouragement or do take that feeling of being done and they stay done. They yeah. stay down. They yeah. stay out of the game um, or they operate injured the whole time. Right. And I think that that, so what about, I'm curious, what about your story at that point, when you heard that, were you like, hell no, I'm, I don't like that. It's another going four letter word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I, I am super tenacious and I am a very loud advocate. So I knew that if I, I wasn't the first person to feel this way and it upset me that other people felt this way. So it, it just empowered me all the more to just. Did you see going. examples of that when you were younger or kind of, do you have these entrepreneurial tendencies from a young age or is this something you learned? Yeah. Yeah. I've always been a hustler. Like, um, <laughs> I remember going to our church, um, yard sales. And it, we went to church and I was always like the baby, baby. Like there was always like thousand year old people at our, <laughs> at our, at our church. I never understood how we ended up there, but um, <laughs> they would always bring in some of their little knickknacks and their antiques. And so I would buy them and then I would come and clean them up and then sell them outside of my house to my neighbors. Like I'd mark them up and sell them outside, you know, to my neighbors. And they're like, oh, you're so cute. Oh, of course, this is so beautiful. Where'd you get it? And I'd spend some fantastic tale about what it was. And they were just like, oh, okay, I'll buy it. So yeah, I've, I've, I've always been a hustler. That's <laughs> so cool. Always. That reminds me of Gary V, the, the whole garage sale flipping thing. If anyone's familiar with Gary V out there. <laughs> This whole thing. That's really cool. I love that. Um, okay. So you go, you know, let's keep on, keep going through your story. So you create right. this online forum where people can connect. You have incredible. And, and at what point is this? Cause you mentioned you started speaking or you kind of had first some of these feelings in like 2009, was it? Yeah. Initially. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So I started in 2005. I think the community was created in about maybe it was created in 2006, yes, because I remember that I, I had my baby, one of my babies in 2007. Okay. And I can remember like live posting my labor in the, uh, in the community group. So yeah, we had, the community had to have been in 2006. Okay. And then from it, um, the amazing, amazing Dr. Katasha Butler was also a planner in Indianapolis. And she said, you know what, we should all get together. We should have a conference. And she created a conference for us. And I was one of the, the speakers for two years in a row. And that had to have been about 2008 or 2009. So this, this community thing has always been a part of me. It's been a part of my journey. And these are still people that I am friends with to to this very day two of the members are um my youngest son's godmothers so you know it's 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 amazing it's so amazing and um again to have that means that you have so many people you don't just have fans you don't have followers you have really true advocates mm -hmm. that you know know you know your brand who aren't afraid to say your name in different rooms mm -hmm. um where you're not there yet to give you opportunities to give you support to give you that mm, girl that ain't right type of thing so really? i felt 
a lot of it now can be so superficial, you know what I mean? And, and I think that, that that lack of connection and that lack of authenticity, because a lot of people don't even know who they are themselves, yeah. uh, can, can be a big issue. I was going to ask, you know, it seems it's inspiring to me that you went out and created the community that you were lacking. You, you were like, I need this. Other people need this too. Let's do this. And so you created it um, in today's environment where, you know, we've got all the tech I mean, you're talking in 2006, 2007, live streaming. That's different than live streaming today, right? Pandemic happened and everyone's live streaming. Um, what, what's, what's your advice then to someone who's coming up? Because now there are more resources, right? Mm -hmm. There are different rooms and communities and groups and all those different things. Um, do you have some advice for you know, someone new in the game, maybe who is coming up, who's looking to find their place? Is the move to start their own thing if they don't find it or just look a little harder because someone in the country is doing something? Both. Okay. Um, I think that you have to know exactly what it is that you need. And so that when you, when you see it, you'll be able to identify it. A lot of the times we can't verbalize what we need, but we understand exactly what we need. Um, our community fizzled out because Facebook became more of a thing and people were moving over there and it was, you know, kind of hard to, to bring it back. But I decided I was going to, as we say, re-up and, and do it again. And like you said, there's so much more technology now. We just used it to, to our advantage. So my thing with finding the perfect community is to make sure that it's a balance uh, for our group now, what we do is we have, you know, monthly education every single uh, every single month. We also have um, different speakers come in, but we also have movie nights and game nights. Like we did drag bingo at the beginning of the year with everyone. Last night, as a matter of fact, we had client and cocktails night where we just sat around and, and we chatted about different issues that we might have. I think that you have to find different ways to motivate yourself and to, to motivate others, because without that, it's not, you're not gonna be consistent with it at all. So you have to really know what you need. What is it that you're looking for? Are you looking for community? Are you looking for social connection? Are you looking for education? Are you looking for more networking experiences? If you know what you need, then you'll be able to find it and you won't be so upset when, you know, you thought you found one thing, but it, it's kind of lacking in one other area. If you don't find it, absolutely start it, but definitely do your due diligence and look because there's a ton of things out there and everybody's always like, oh my God, it's one more thing. I think we all felt that about Clubhouse when you know that came out, everyone's like, oh, it's one more thing that I have to do, but now nobody can get off of it. Everybody's pretty much addicted. So I think you have to really find out exactly what you need, but you have to learn balance with it too. Again, if it's gonna be social and work, but also know when to pull away. Uh, that was one of my things too with Clubhouse is that I turned my notifications off immediately. The, the amount of pinging that I would get made me seriously want to consider a life prison sentence. Like I was like, you know what, if one more person pings me into a room, they're not gonna make it. They're just not. It's gonna be a lot of slow singing and flower bringing because I just can't. <laughs> Um, you know, so you have to know how to protect your peace. Mm -hmm. I am a huge advocate of balance. I am a huge advocate of what I like to call squeezing your sponge. If you are constantly immersing yourself into your work, into education, into your inspiration, when we pull that sponge out of that water, it's, it's going to be useless because it's sopping wet. 
you have to squeeze your sponge so that you can absorb more, so that you can do more, so that you can be more functional and more efficient. So definitely pick something that is going to, you know, bring you joy, that's going to give you some sort of professional benefit, but also know when to pull away when you have to. And that's totally okay. That's totally powerful. Okay. I love that. Squeeze your sponge. Squeeze your sponge. Hey, that Honestly, that might even make it as the title of this episode because that was pretty <laughs> awesome. good. I, I really, really like that. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to chat about it with the team because that was, that was cool. That was really cool. Well, um, I think that's, I think that's powerful, but I have a question for you about these communities and like some of the rooms. Yeah. Um, and I almost hesitate asking it, but I feel like there is a fine line between providing community and providing a context where complaining. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. Yes. So can you yes. talk to me about that a little bit? Yes. Oh my gosh. Um, everyone's feelings are valid, right? There may be something where they have experienced something, they've heard something, they've done something that gives them the foundation for which, you know, they have an opinion on something. Um, you, you just can't stay there, especially if you're wrong, especially if um, you have no other context or you have no other experience. If you choose to just stay wherever you are and you choose to wallow, I can't, I can't do that. Like I was telling another group, my mother always says you have to meet people where they are and, you know, deal with them there. And I'm like, no, I leave people where they are. If you are not willing to progress any further than your complaint, I can't do anything with, you're a wet sponge. I can't do anything with you. I, I just can't. And I think that, especially now with some of these communities, you have it where people will, people are looking for, I don't even want to say advocates. I think they're looking for um, mob rule sometimes. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, grab your torches and pitchforks. I'm pissed off about something. And it's like, oh, baby, you need some milk. You need a nap. Were you not hugged enough as a child? What is going on? This is not that big of a deal. And, and it's not to minimize anybody's feelings at all. But I feel like in some instances, there isn't enough context given and that everybody just wants to jump on and complain and complain and complain. And then one, no one gets heard, nothing gets done. And we don't even know if we're hearing the entire side of the story. So I am all about conversation more than I am about complaining. And I feel like if you're jumping from platform to platform and you're complaining, then you, sh oh, see, I was about to curse. You sure as shit ain't working, right? So if all you're doing is complaining, then I don't, I don't know if you get a 1099 for that. I don't know if you get a W2 for that, but you sure as shit ain't working. So um, maybe this isn't the thing for you. And I don't think that there is enough people out there that say that, that tell mm -hmm. people that, that, you know, give them the truth and like, okay, I understand exactly where you're coming from. That's totally valid. What would you like to be done? Where can we go from here? And if it's just complaint after complaint after complaint, I'm done. I'm cutting you off. I'm sorry. The AT&T subscriber you have reached is no longer in service. I'm not dealing with this with you because uh, John Taffer says, you know what? I embrace uh, solutions, not excuses. And I can completely agree with that. If you, And it's not just my own story that makes me feel this way. Like if you aren't willing to take your complaint and turn it into something amazing, 
then I don't know what we're, what we're here for. I really, I really don't. That's, I, I so love that. I'm thankful that, that you see that and that you had such a kind of a, an outspoken perspective on that because I've looked and I feel like there is a layer of disrespect that other industries have mm -hmm. for the wedding and events industry. I was just talking to the wonderful women over at, at Rock Paper Coin, uh, Nora and Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were talking about how they went and raised money from, you know, some venture capital. And the venture capital folks are kind of like, like, yeah, they poo poo a, us a lot. Yeah, it's a kind of a cute industry. Exactly. You know? It's nice. Exactly. It's a very cute, like, multi billion dollar industry. So yeah, yeah, you know like, what, and, and that's what I tell people all the time. You want to get cute? I can get gorgeous. Please don't minimize me. Don't don't play yeah. games. Don't play yeah, games. but I think that what ends up happening is because a lot of the people in this industry are very creative, and there's a lot of you know like emotion that are put into this industry because it is an emotional decision that's being made. Yes. It's a it's very important. It's a very important time in someone's life. You know being married, having, you know, a, a social, uh, gathering like these that we're talking about. Um, but at the same time, I feel like we need to be as wedding pros challenging ourselves, like you said, to be having those conversations, but not just complaining, not just like normalizing staying. You know, I thought you were going to go in a whole totally different direction. I did. I thought you were going to talk about how, um, with our industry, it seems that they they maximize the worst, like bridezillas and you know all of the bad behavior and you know the the edited versions of different reality shows or even you know what let's be ten thousand percent real the reality shows of the dream weddings and how half of that shit is comped and you know that's why it's so cute and it's not hard work because they make it look like it can be done in a day for two dollars and a biscuit. And I don't think that we do our industry any justice when we continuously feed into these stereotypical views of our industry. It takes, you know, a planner anywhere between what, 400 to 600 hours to plan an event. That's, and then to break it down, of course, to like a 45 minute show. Yeah, there's gonna be a lot of editing there, but to only show the bad, to not show the creativity, to not show the ingenuity, to only show the things that perpetuates this endless cycle of drama and anger and complaining is just, it's ridiculous. And then, you know, that's just what everybody else sees on the front end. And then you have what happens in the industry. And then everybody is like nitpicking and, and being catty and then being petty. And it's, it's I think ooh. it keeps us low. I think it's exactly. that shit that like keeps, it keeps that cycle going. And to your point, I think we need to identify that. We need to see it. We need to address it. But like, it's no surprise that like the mother of the bride is going to be you know, right. like we know there are we some know that we know, know that, that. Yeah. we're professionals. Like, and so instead of spending time talking about that, we could spend a couple minutes talking about how to, how I've solved it, how you solved it, how we can mm -hmm. level up, you know, each other up, Exactly. but then we can go to the next place. Well, you know, and I tell people too, you know what, is your client really a monster or did you create that monster? Let's just be completely real here. Like, so did Amen. you not explain things properly? Did you drop the ball a few times? Like, why are they literally losing their shit? Did they have help? Did you help them? Are you the co-defendant mm -hmm. and all of this? And a lot of people aren't being honest about that at all. At all. I, I love it. No nonsense. And you threw a little legal term in there. I like that. That was <laughs> That was sly. I like, I like that a lot. Well, I think this is wonderful. And 
I want to transition a little bit. We talked about sure, yeah. your, your background, but um, I wanted to ask you about some of the pricing yeah. uh, and creating proposals. And, you know, you have an incredible experience. You have incredible experience being a planner yourself. Yeah. Um, and so for the planners who are out there listening, and I have a question for venue. So all my venue listeners right now, we're going to get there in a second. We're going to ask Tarika <laughs> some questions, but um, for a new planner who's just coming online and they don't really know how to price their services. And of course, everyone, when they see the industry, of course, they take it from the, the media, media, right? And it's mm-hmm. like big weddings. And of course, everyone wants to be a luxury planner, yeah, everybody right? Does, right. Like, or, yeah. or they're like, I'm just going to be real cheap and I'm just going to do this for, you know, 150 bucks. And then they figure out later, okay, I got to like, we can't do that. So screwed. Yeah. I've totally <laughs> screwed myself. <laughs> yeah. How do you recommend that people start this journey of pricing themselves? So, you know, I think one big problem is that people don't know how to mind their damn business. Mind the business that pays you, okay? Okay. So don't be out here worrying about what planner A is charging, what planner B is charging, because that's none of your business. If you are basing your pricing off of someone else's pricing, you've lost because you don't know what their overhead is. You don't know what their client experience is. You don't know what their education is. And that is what they are basing their pricing off of. So you are setting your pricing up based on someone else's business that you don't even work at. How does that work? That It doesn't. It Boom, absolutely fire. Does, does not it. work. Um, two is, let me tell you something, baby. We all can't be doctors. We all can't be lawyers. Okay. So we're not all going to be high end and luxury. Stop telling folks you are when you aren't, you need to look at your market. You could make just as much as a luxury or high end planner, if not more, if you know your market, because here's the thing, a lot of high end events don't always exist in every single market. That doesn't mean people aren't getting married. It just means that they aren't doing that particular style of event. So when you find your niche and you look at your market and you say, you know what, this market is going to be amazing for event management. You can create an event management company and completely kill it. Then you can up-level that business and then you can partner with others. You can have different collaborations. And then now you have another stream of income. Meanwhile, people are just looking at you as a day of coordinator, but you're a day of coordinator that's pulling in six to seven figures and you've got a team and you're not having to work all of the time. So I feel like everyone gets so caught up on, you know, oh, I have to be high end and I have to be luxury. And they out here letting Instagram write a check that their business can't cash. And then they're wondering why, oh my God, why am I not successful? Why am I not making it? And it's because you're not talking to the right people in your industry. You're speaking a different language to people who don't even understand. So those are two huge things that you have to know for pricing. And you have to figure out, you know, how much do I want to make? And with what I do, how long does it take me to do it? If you don't have a workflow, if you don't really have your collections, your services, your packages, and this is whether you're a planner, doesn't matter who you are. If you don't have these lined out and you don't know what it takes for you to pull that off, then you don't know how long you're working. Then you don't know what you should charge for the hour. You don't know how much your hour is worth. So when you are figuring out your pricing and then you have a client that keeps going over all of these things or you're putting in additional work, I was just talking to 
um, one of my students and they were like, oh, I'm going to offer unlimited meetings. And I'm like, no, to hell you're not. Mm -mm. No, you're not. Because then once we break it down, you have now worked for minimum wage. You are now at the tip rate for the federal government. So no, you're absolutely not. So figure out what it is that you do. Now, you know what, let's start over. Figure out who you are. That's most important. Figure out who you want to be somebody too. And then figure out what it takes for you to do what it is that you do and how to create an amazing experience. Then we will price it. And we can base it off of the amount of events you wanna do per year. We can base it off of how much you, how much you wanna to make total throughout the year. We can base it on a markup, but we have to have those stair steps first before we jump into, oh, this is going to be my rate. And again, the comparisons between different photographers and, and different planners and different cake bakers, different florists, especially those who aren't in our markets. You know, someone in coastal Georgia where I am is not going to have the same type of access to clients that are getting married in LA. We don't have the same markup. We don't have the same cost of living. There are a ton of things that are going to influence our pricing. So bloom where you're planted, mind the business that pays you, and then focus on what it is that you want to do so you know how to price effectively. That was <laughs> mic drop. I mean, we could just end the podcast right now. I mean, that was that was that was so good. That was so good. I'm gonna have to go back and re-listen to that. I can't wait for people to hear this because that's huge. But I think I love that you mentioned who, like who you are. Figure that out first. You said let's roll it back who you are. Do you think? that how much do you think that matters? I guess is what I'm asking because I can see in my mind someone who has experience with a luxury market already because mm -hmm. of jobs they've had mm -hmm. or maybe mm -hmm. a way that they've grown up or they have been in an environment like you do live in LA mm -hmm. or you do live in Orange County, let's say, or you do live just you know where I'm speaking way inland yeah. where you know a cheap and cheerful type of wedding is a lot more what people are looking for. And you're going to know what those things. So do you think you can break that? Or do you think the best, like how far should people be looking at that who they are piece? Oh, that who piece is everything. The who piece is definitely everything. And sometimes it can even trump what you do. Okay. Because people are going to be connected to you. They're going to be attracted to you. Baby, if we've been 10,000% real, we all do the same thing. We all do the same thing. We just get out of thesaurus and we use a few different pretty words to say how we're going to do it differently. We all do the same thing. How we do it and who we are when we do it is what sells. People will always connect with what sells. And when I teach client experiences, I teach them with that Maya Angelou quote, people may forget what you said, they may forget what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel that feeling is a connection and it comes from you. They have to like you. Like you said at the very beginning, this is a very intimate decision that they are going to do. Planning a wedding is a very intimate action that they are going to do in their lives. They're going to spend six months with a stranger talking about family problems, dietary issues, oh my God, money, all of these personal things. It has to be with someone that they like. It has to be with someone that they trust. It has to be with someone that they know. So the who you are, it's very important because I'm always pulling out everybody's quotes. Dita Von Teese said, you could be the juiciest peach in the world, but there will be somebody out there who still hates peaches. 
If you were trying to be the juiciest peach in an apple orchard, of course, you're going to think that you are a failure. You need to roll your little fuzzy ass with the other peaches so that you can get picked up. That is very important. Don't try to conform at all. Be who you are and bloom where you're planted because what you do and how you do it will make the sale all of the time. And I tell people too with pricing, never let it come down to price never let it come down to price. And that's how proposals come in because it's how it's presented, of course. But if you have a client that is all only making a decision based on pricing, then that means they didn't see value in anything. Nothing stuck out to them. They are just looking to get something done. They're looking for hired help. They're looking for skilled labor pretty much. So at this point, you're, you're literally just the independent contractor. They don't care who shows up. They just want it done. So if it ever comes to that, you know that you've messed up and that's where you need to go back and look at things and see who did I connect with? You know what I mean? Go back through your CRM, HoneyBook, Dubsado, Tabe, whatever it is that you're using, do a report for about two years and see who did you connect with? Who were you excited about? Whose events, you know, who had like the best venue that you wanted to work at? or that you enjoy working at, who had the best vendors, who had the best experience. How many of those did you book? How many of those did you have a really great experience with? And just a lot of the times the data and the answers that we're looking for that we're like, oh my God, I wish I knew. It's sitting right there in <laughs> our own records. It's, and I ask my, my students that all the time. They're like, I just wish I knew what people wanted. And I'm like, cool, let's go run a report and I'll tell you exactly what it is that people want. All the data is right there. That's tough for people, I think, because I, and I know I'm so guilty of this. You yes. know, sometimes the answer is right in front of you. You know what I've found? When I'm going to ask someone who I feel like is an expert in a certain area, and when I have to formulate a question for that person, sometimes just the act of formulating an intelligent question makes me realize that I, I already have the answer. You already know the answer. You like, already know the answer. What am I doing right now? Like, <laughs> just because of having to put it together. Yeah. You mentioned experience and I want to touch on that for a second. When yeah. you talked about experience and price, do you mm -hmm. think that price has anything to do with the experience? Absolutely. Okay. Um, because, and a lot of people don't think this either. Like I, I teach my students, you should be raising your rates every year, every year and a half. And when we raise your rates, it's not just going to be some arbitrary number. It's not going to be, oh, well, I want those shoes. You know what I mean? I think I'm going to raise my rates. It's going to be, of course, if your cost of goods have gone up, if your expenses has have gone up, we need to change it there. But how much experience have you received and have you been gaining too? You know what I mean? So like how many times were you published? How many conferences did you go to? Um, how many shoots have you done? How many educational tools have, have you gotten? That is part of your experience. And that is what's making you a better insert the blank. People need to pay for that. Your pricing can't stay the same. You know what I mean? It, it's going to go up. So I think that your experience definitely correlates with your pricing for sure. Terika, you're talking about uh, action there. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Shoots and, uh, yeah. and all of this stuff, right? Is action driven. And if someone is standing still and they're not putting in the work, 
yeah, I mean, maybe they shouldn't be raising their prices all that much because they're not investing into themselves. But if they're there, they're getting a coach, right? Mm -hmm. They're hiring you. They're helping them level up their business. They're doing this stuff. They just by the natural osmosis of what that is, they've got to charge more. Absolutely. And this is not an industry where you can afford to stand still. No. You know what I mean? We're not a stagnant industry at all. We have different trends that come through every Pantone releases different colors every single year. And then that influences so many different things. You cannot afford to stand still in this industry. You have to be doing something to move yourself along. And people will say, oh, well, you know, um, it's working for me. That's great. But there's going to come a time when it doesn't. And even still, you still have to grow. What if it is working for you and you're getting the increased volume, but now you have to bring on a staff that is going to, you know, make you raise your rates as well. And, and, you know, I I hear certain people say it's a pandemic, you know, I can't afford to raise my rates right now. And I'm like, how much work did you do when everything was, you know, losing its mind? You know, did you do double work? Did you have to plan several weddings over and again, because they canceled or they postponed? If they were selling PlayStation 5s and Beyonce was selling her gear for $800 a pop and people paid it, you can afford to raise your rates. Absolutely. That again, like you're just dropping (laughs) diamonds everywhere through this whole thing. It's amazing. So I love that you said that. And I'm going to roll it back to the beginning of this episode where you said that you started in like 2009 or like, that's right when you started doing some of the speaking and the educating. And it's interesting because that was right after the bottom, that was the bottom of the whole financial crash. Yep. Sure was. And so we're in, we're not, I mean, we didn't have a recession. Mm -hmm. We had a pandemic whole pandemic, which was way worse than I think a recession, (laughs) you know, like, so we have this, now we have this pent up demand. We have all these different things. I have heard people say, I started an event planning company in 2008 and, you know, people weren't really spending money then. So we ended up closing it up. I've also heard people say that that was the beginning of one of the most successful Mm -hmm. portions of their career that they've ever had. Mm -hmm. And so Tarek, what it sounds like you're telling me is that we have incredible opportunity here. Yes. yes. So let me t- tell you, when the, when the recession happened, I was doing a lot of high-end events. And then now what that meant, and it, for, at that particular time, my ideal client that was always coming through, their wedding was funded by their parents. Mm-hmm. So when the housing market crashed, they lost equity in their homes, their 401ks, tanks. So there wasn't a lot of money for anybody to do anything. So that's when the term recessionista was born. But anyway, this term was born and I decided, you know what? I want, I want a piece of everything. I had that like kind of mob mentality. I said, you know what? If I can't get you for full service, then I want to get you for day of coordination. And if I can't get you for day of coordination, then I want to get you for our all-inclusive weddings. And if I can't get you for all-inclusive weddings, then you can go buy my book off of iTunes. Again, I'm just saying how old I am right now. But that was my thing. There was always a tear. My clients were never going to leave outside of my box unless we hated each other or there was absolutely nothing that I couldn't do for them. And short of bearing their first child or finding them a kidney, there wasn't anything that I wasn't too much willing to do, but I, I had this tiered system of how I was going to carry each client through. 
So as everything started to break down, we started selling more of our all-inclusive weddings. And what they were is that we set a certain price point so that we could make money, our partners could make money, but we would still have gorgeous events to show off. We limited things, we put our boundaries on them. It could only be for this amount of hours. It could only be at these locations. It could only be for this amount of people. And it was at this price point. That, having that and working on that kept us through that hard time. It was also great calendar fillers, but then we rounded out and started doing that all over again when the pandemic hit. So don't be afraid, don't scale down, don't drop your prices, right? Don't water yourself down. I joke about this with people all the time. Like you go into a diner and sometimes they'll hand you an empty bottle of ketchup and you're like, oh, this is empty. I need another one. And you you may see somebody sneak off to the side and pour a little water in it and then shake it up and then bring it back to you. And it's like, okay, you didn't make more ketchup. You make ketchup flavored water, right? So you are not ketchup flavored water. Don't dilute your brand. Instead, scale it down into delicious bite-sized pieces where people can still get this experience and you still get paid without diminishing your price or diminishing your brand. So I think that that is so very important. A lot of people were pivoting and they were like pivoting themselves all the way out of the industry as opposed to looking at what do I do? What do I do amazingly? And how can I create a very intimate, niche, nuanced experience that is going to mean something for those clients who have to get married right now? Hmm. Terika, let's wrap up with this. Okay. What, what happens when there is someone who did that, right? Who did, they were like, oh my God, COVID is going to be here forever and ever and ever. Mm-hmm. We're going to be screwed. I'm going to get out of this industry quick. I'm so over it, you know, or maybe they held on for a couple of months or, you know, six months or whatever. And they were just like, my clients are gone. My, you know, and there were a lot of very low points, I think for a lot of people. Oh yeah. But there were people who like held on and there were people who like tried to pivot everywhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now they're seeing things come back. So maybe they're starting, but they're starting at maybe a bit of a disadvantage from those folks who stayed faithful. They stayed in the, in the stream, right. In the game what is the way that those folks can get back online as fast as possible, even with maybe having this like six month little speed bump? Yeah. So now you have to realize that the clients that will be coming your way have a totally different mindset. Now they may be a little bit gun shy. They may have a ton of questions. They are looking for a lot of security and assurances, right? So what they are going to need from you is that stability. They're gonna need your expertise. The best way for you to do that, of course, is to begin to start investing in yourself. Where would that make the most sense? Would it be you beefing up your social media? Do you need help with social media and getting a social media manager and coming up with really great content to become the expert in these potential clients' eyes? Maybe you need to start doing a few more shoots so you can you know, shake the rust off a little bit and getting some new content out there. That might be a new thing. Maybe you need to invest in education so that you can learn new tools. And you again, positioning yourself as the expert is so key. A lot of people will say, well, I don't have the money right now to to invest in myself, but there are different education um, at different price points where you can invest in yourself. But what you really need to understand is that these new clients, I guess I don't, we can't even say post COVID because it's still COVID, but these COVID clients 
are still looking for guidance. They're looking for expertise. You have to be that expert. You don't wake up an expert. An expert means that you've had the experience, you've done the work, you have done the education, you've done all of those things. So invest yourself into where it's needed and become a voice. Again, maybe that's going to be on social media. Maybe it's going to be on Instagram stories or, you know, reels or on Facebook. Perhaps it's going to be connecting and doing certain things with your um, vendors and having like an evening with the experts. That's always a great thing that you can do to, to come off as an expert as well. But you cannot absolutely give up don't give up because there's a huge community out there that's going through this with you as well. And they're going to be there to support you and don't stay where you are. Your magic is so very important and it's been so missed. And we, as your fellow community, we're not just missing you. We want to see it as well, just as much as your clients do. So definitely take the time to invest in yourself and give yourself a break too, right? Show yourself some grace. It is totally okay if you had to take a break. If you felt like you had reached your limit and you couldn't do it, that's totally fine. But come back fighting. Rocky always came back fighting. You know what I mean? I love it. I love it. Well, Terika, this has been such a pleasure having you on. Um, where, where can people, I mean, they just heard it from you, you know, you have to invest in yourself to get, to be in an environment. And this is something you were kind of referencing, but maybe you didn't directly say, but to put yourself in an environment where you're supported by other pros, where you do have that community, if you don't want to create it, or if you don't need to create it, you know, right. um, Terika, you've created an incredible community. So where can people connect with you, get involved with what you're doing, take advantage of some of your coaching stuff, where, where can they go for that? So you can find me online at Terica Inc. That's T-E-R-R-I-C-A-I-N-C.com. You can even find out how to join my VIP community called Hustle and Company. And we have so much education and so many social events. It's, it's so much fun. You can also find me acting up on Clubhouse under the name Terica. You can also find me on Instagram as well at Cocktail Terica. Love it. Love it. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. And this has been, this has been a lot of fun. So I appreciate it. Yeah.